Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend and Chabrutza, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masechet Kitubot, daf pei bet, page 82. Well, when I said that it was Masechet Kitubot, one could argue, hey, it almost feels like we're in Masechet Yavamot. <laughs> so Ahmed Aleph basically presents with us a few interesting cases of where brothers sort of try to like a little bit, you know, uh, do funny things with the property, right? In other words, the Yavam, if there's a case of Yavam, a brother dies, right? And then the Yavama comes to the Yavam. The Yavam basically inherits that brother's property. And then the question becomes, what if there are other brothers, right? So they come up with these scenarios with the other brothers not wanting that brother to really sort of get the property or the control of the property by doing Yavam may try to get him to uh, not married, to do chalitza, to give her a get, all of these sorts of things. Or, you know, that then the Yavam may come to his brothers and say like, you know, hey, why don't we figure out a way to divide the property? But then it becomes a question about whether or not he's actually allowed to divide that property amongst his brothers, or is he really the only one who's entitled to own it? So I'm not going to read all of those cases, but I just think it's like an important thing to pay attention to. I think we talked about yesterday that Tubot has a sense of feeling very practical. This page also feels very practical. Like you can see or understand how in a family with, you know, multiple brothers where there could be some jealousy or ill feeling between brothers that one brother's going to get the opportunity to fulfill Yibum, but also let's be honest, he inherits other property, right? And that may make some of the other brothers not feel so great. And I think, again, this also brings in a humanistic element, which is there may have been times that even though somebody was obligated to perform the mitzvah of Yibam, there's a lot of other conflicting emotions uh, that maybe other family members or the Avam himself felt about this. So maybe this practicality side of things is exactly why this piece ends up in Ketubot instead of in Yavamot. If we were saying before, right, the other day that Yavamot is more, I don't know, mathematical figure out all I don't mean that it's theoretical that it would never happen, but but they have to play through all of the cases anyway, even if they aren't happening. And Ketubot, again, it just feels like, as you said, you've said it now already on this stuff, right? That it just has that practical sense of things. So maybe Ketubot is the place to put the Yavamot cases that feel practical. This would be like an interesting PhD thesis, right? (laughs) Like doctor, on our list, on our list, and Ketubos to each other. Okay, one other quick piece I want to go, and then Anne, you're going to do the end of this paragraph, which is awesome, which gives us some history uh, and and contextualizes Ketuba. But there's one other little interesting uh, piece that appears here. Remember, the Mishnah listed out all different types of property. Did it belong to her? Did it belong to the husband? And all this kinds of thing. And one of the things that Chacham listed out were attached, you know, produce that's still attached to the ground. And it said, shallow. Am I? So the Gemara asks, like, why? Doesn't all of his property serve as a guarantee and a security for her marriage contract? In other words, how can the Yavam own this produce? All of the property really needs to sort of be left there uh, you know, in case she needs her ketubah, right? And then we have like a shocking line by Rachel Lakish. I'm a Rachel Lakish, Tanisha Rachel Lakish says, yeah, 
basically you're right. The Mishnah text must be wrong. You should just teach it as Shalat. So I, I just love like, it's like one little line in the Gemara in this staff, but it's really saying something pretty important. Now again, Reish Lakish comes is the generation right after uh, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, right? He's a bar polluter with Rabbi Yochanan. We studied with Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. So it, it's not, I think when you're so close to the source, it isn't so crazy to maybe say, all right, the text somehow got corrupted and it, you know, it's okay, as opposed to saying it, you know, like a, a much later MO or saying this 200 years later. But the Gemara just takes this and moves on. Like, I think the Gemara agrees. Yeah, the text couldn't be correct and it should actually say Shala. I, I just, you know, and they just like, mic drop, it's just sort of in the middle of the top there. <laughs> I like that there's very, I don't know what really happened in real life, but what's written here is written, it presents Rish Lakish without inhibition, right? He's he's very comfortable in his knowledge, in his piety, in his awareness of the text itself, what it's supposed to be, to be able to say, yeah, no, that's not, let's tweak that. And as opposed to feeling like, but wait, it's the Mishnah. And I'm reminded again of the scholarship of Rabbi Dr. Yaakov Elman, where he made a very strong case, and maybe others as well, I shouldn't say only him, that the Mishnah itself may have been committed to writing after the Gemara was already written down, right? So then it also feels different when Rishlakish comes along and says, yeah, no, f- just fix it, right? Because because he knows, he knows what this Mishnah is. He knows that text in ways that, you know, I, I can't even imagine how how uh, like internalized it was for him to feel that level of comfort. And I think that it's, you know, both admiral, admirable and, you know, something to emulate. Although I think it might be a little beyond me. And the Gemara also like, you know, you know, believes in Rach Lakish's understanding as well. Like they don't even question it. Oh, Rach Lakish said it. Sure. It must be correct. And then they just move on from there. Right, and they don't say, up. they don't say, oh, you didn't come from a good enough background or whatever, right? Right, right, Meaning, right, right, right. exactly. Because we they, know we talk totally story. agree with it. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up this, the end of this parak, which I, I, okay. I thought this was a good piece of Gemara here. I also do. The end of the Gemara, the end of the parak, the end of the daf. Um, a few, just a little bit up from the bottom of the daf. Allah of Yehuda. So we're talking here about, um, we're, the Gemara is going to provide the background, really, for what happens that the husband's, property goes to the mortgage contract to the ketubah meaning the ketubah itself can put a lien on the husband's property so we knew this right we know that we've talked about this before if you said that at the beginning at the at the beginning whatever the beginning means right that part's a little bit less clear but meaning the first thing they did was they would write the ketubah for a virgin, it would be 200 dinar, and for a widow, it would be uh, uh, 100 dinar. And what would happen? The men would get old, and they wouldn't get married because they didn't have such money, the sums of 200 dinar or 100 dinar even, they didn't have enough money to be able to back the ketubah until and Shimon ben Shatach is known for being the person who came and in to institute the ketubah, namely, specifically, called the chasav achra'in l'ketubah. So the, the man doesn't have to have extra money for the ketubah, 
right? But that all of his property comes together to be against the ketubah, which is why the ketubah itself functions or can function as a lien on the property, because everything is there to be his 100 or 200 dinar, as the case may be, to kind of to back him going into the marriage. Tanya Nami Hachi, the Gemara goes on, that the that this is also taught elsewhere in a brighter, namely We got another version of this same text. And the men would get old and they weren't getting married. So instead of the we this is where the text diverges, right? So the first claim is well, that's when Shimon Bachatach came and set up the principle about the lien on the property. This version in the Breita says that they made the they made the decree that the that the ketubah itself would be placed in the house of the father. Now we also should remember that there was a time prior to the hundred mana and the two hundred mana dinar, whatever, right? Before that, they had an item, an item, uh, and I think I've even said this before in the podcast that I always imagine, and I'm wondering where I got this image from, you know, like there's like a samovar, and that's the family heirloom, and that's the ketubah, and it remains over there in that corner, unless it would need to be, you know, given to the wife in the case of death or divorce, whatever. So there's nothing in the text about a samovar. The point is that there's an item. There's an item that is the value, that is a valued item that functions as the surety for the wife in the event of divorce. Um, so the, what would they do? What happens if that would get lost or stolen or who knows what? And she'll be left high and dry. So so Chazal made a decree that the item of the ketubah, or for that matter, the sum, it could be, right? It could be just a packet of money for that matter. It should be kept in her father's house meaning he, the father of all the people, is going to make sure that it's protected so that it's there to protect his daughter in the event that that would ever be needed. Um, So then what would happen? The couple would fight, as people sometimes are wont to do, and then when he would get angry at her, the husband, he would say to her, go to your ketubah, meaning go back to your father's house. And so the concern there is that's a little bit too easy for making it to, for for there to be an ability to to divorce. All he has to do is say go go get your ketubah, and now we're done. So that seems like a little bit, you know, Jewish law has been a little bit strong on the nature of kiddushin and, and nisuin, keeping people married um, of late. I Meaning that's we have a strong kiddushin and we believe in that. But on the other hand, you know, this was the opposite, right? The only all he had to do to provide for her with the the surety, so to speak, that he would be giving her as a ketuba was go home to your father. That's not enough. So, so rather they would put it in the father-in-law's house, meaning the husband's father's house, which is not as comfortable of a place for the wife to go to. And therefore, you can't just say like, Go to my father's house, right? That's not as big of a risk in terms of making divorce a little too easy to happen where a couple could have a fight and then they wouldn't actually send each other home to her, where he wouldn't send her home to her father's house. As she wrote, So what would happen? The wealthy women, the people who are rich, they would make the, they would take the ketubah money basically and weave baskets of silver and gold. 
עניות היו עושות אותה אבית של מימי רגליים. Whereas the poor women, what would they do? They would make a big vessel, a large vessel, to collect urine. Meaning, I guess this was necessary and therefore valuable. Um, and because of, the fact is, the ketubah itself was only large enough, apparently, for a small, to make a small vessel. Fine. So what happens? Vadayin. Let's say he's still angry at her. He'd say, hang up your basket, right? Take your, or take your basket with you, rather. I'm sorry, not hang it up. Tali, meaning carry. I've, I'm, it's the wrong spelling for what I wanted to say the first time. My apologies. Meaning, take your item here and that you've made, that you've made of the value of the money, and go. So again, rather, this says until Shimon ben Shetach came and instituted really the concept of, of Ketubah, where he doesn't give her all this money for the Ketubah and she puts it in her pocket for safekeeping. Rather, he's writing, he writes this document that says, all of my, par- my property is going to be your guarantor, meaning in the event of, an, of the need to provide the Ketubah, in the event of divorce, whatever, then all of his property, every last item, becomes um, the protection that the ketubah is supposed to grant. And that it's not uh, the, the, the chiddush, the great thing about Shemban Shetach's decree, is that it removes the responsibility from a particular item or a particular sum of money where the money is right there, which clearly was causing problems, right? If they could just have a fight and send him home to her father's house, he could send her home to her father's house, or vice versa, that that he could say, take your basket, your golden basket, and leave, right, then that's not the way the ketubah is really supposed to work. It's supposed to work as a protection for the wife in the event that divorce is decided upon, not in the heat of the moment and yelling at each other, right? So, therefore, what would happen in the event of divorce, really, and this is not, this is no longer really in the text of the Mar, but just to explain how it closes, Right, he would sell his stuff if he needed to divorce. If he needed to provide the ketubah, he would figure out what he needed to sell in in order to provide that ketubah. And since he has to sell his stuff, he's going to be much more careful about that rather than just saying, "Out, you're out, get out." Right? It's not. That's a very easy sentence to say. Maybe not so easy if you truly love each other and so on. I'm not saying it's it's nothing, but as compared to having to go hawk your possessions in order to be able to provide the ketubah money for your for the wife that you're about to make an ex you want to you want to think twice or three times or eight times before you really do that and that's what shimon but that's the value of shimon ben shatak's decree according to this gemara well this gemara basically affirms my thinking and i put this into practice in my own home i think the like decorative ketubahs are weird right like yes here the difference is is that what was decorative and hanging on the wall was actually the value of the ketubah itself but to me it's like the same idea it's like you put up a piece of artwork that is symbolic of what happens when you get divorced i that's all i just i don't think it's such a leap to go from one to the other here um right so i think i think there's also the fact that I, this is like a total social commentary type of thing. I think that there are many Jews who don't, or certainly in history, right, who didn't necessarily have the finances for art and for decorations in their homes and so on. So they took the practical thing and they made it. They made it art, you know. And this goes back. 
hundreds of years, meaning we have ketubot that are illustrated, you know, whatever, the same way they would have illustrated manuscripts. The moment you have text of value, the the people who worked with gold leaf right back in the day and calligraphy and so on would do it on anything that needed writing. So the fact that it happened on a Ketuba makes sense to me because that is a very valuable document. Nowadays, right, this thing of like taking, going out and hiring somebody to make you a beautiful Ketuba, which is transactional and protective and so on, and you're going to hang it on the wall, which what, the husband can just take it off the wall and run? I don't know. I hear that there's a, a bit of a disconnect there. I do know of people who have, you know, like a very plain document for the actual ketubah. And then somebody was, you know, an artist, a friend or a relative or whatever. And they made them a beautiful ketubah. But it's not the ketubah. It's just hanging on the wall. Right. Meaning yeah, it's. I, I, I just have a simple RCA one. It's in a file, you know. And but I really had a problem with it. Like I, I, I thought the art thing was weird. And now I never saw this Gemara before, but, you know. The Shimon Ben Shatach thing, you know, was like, oh, I, maybe I, my gut was right about something. And then just before we close out, you know, just a quick thing to remind us who Shimon Ben Shatach is. Remember, he's one of the Zugot, the pairs. So that's important because this is pre, this is a pre-Tanaitic enactment, right? Like this isn't in the times of the Mishnah. This is before the Mishnah. So Ketubah, it shows us was early and it shows us that this was even before, you know, even before the time period of the Tanaim. Um, and then just remember also that Shimon ben Shatach, he lives around 140 to 60, you know, BCE. Um, he's the Nasi and uh, he's Shlomsim Amalka's sister. So uh, brother, excuse me, she's his sister. Um, so that's, uh, you know, there's uh, that's just another thing to remember about him. But just that, again, he's one of the Zukot. And he changed the course of marital divorce history. Yes, he did. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin E. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP in our Talking Time on Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.